Welcome to the Fretboard Confessional. My name's Chris McKee. And I'm Cooper Greenberg. What's going on, guys? How's it going, guys? <laughs> this is the podcast by Guitar Nerds for Guitar Nerds. And today's going to be a little bit different because Cooper already warned me that uh, this is going to be rapid fire questions to me, to yeah. Chris. And uh, and I have no idea what they are. There's no preparation. You're just going to fire off and uh, and I get stuff. to answer. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's boxers or boxer briefs, just to get exactly. that out of the way. Yeah, I, uh, you know, there's some I like to do when I'm, you know, when I'm just feeling like we need to have a conversation and just jump in with some questions, trying to get to know somebody, you know, it's like, you know, what are your hobbies? It's like a Tinder kind of thing. This is kind of like networking, like, because I avoid those things like the plague. It's like, you know, it's team building exercise. (laughs) Yeah, I avoid those like the plague too. Have you ever seen that one where there's like one of those Home Depot, like five gallon buckets? And it's like 10 people around it with like rope and you have to like pull at a certain tension to like all grasp it together. And yeah. There's this one time I went to go see uh, my dad. He was doing like an event for his staff and they were doing that. And I was really young. And I was like, man, this looks uh, like, is this what adults do at work? You know, they pick up buckets with rope. I remember being in a team building thing where you were having to raise a stick with sticks where everybody, you know, was trying to raise this like, you know, long six foot stick with these smaller sticks and you have to coordinate because it'll go high and it'll Mm -hmm. go low and it gets off balance. And, and I was like in my mid twenties working for a fortune 500 company going, seriously, you guys spent money on this. Like (laughs) that's how that money goes. that's that's how it's funneled through it's really hard to justify how much that expense is you know on a report you know so So i just say an irs if you're paying attention i was thinking about this because we did a sales meeting the other day i did product knowledge pop quiz uh you know we need more of that i think it's fun you get to expose people and embarrass them you know it's (laughs) real like negative reinforcement um It's just my favorite kind of reinforcement, you know. But uh, the thing is, I like talking, you know, quizzing people on product knowledge, quizzing people on guitars. This is way more open-ended. So, it'll, it's yes, it's rapid-fire, quote-unquote, but it's just it's just fun stuff. Yeah, I'm down. Um, Until I, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> I did, before we got into this, I wanted to talk a couple new guitars because we weren't able to in the last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts on the new Jaguars because I'm very excited about them. Mm-hmm. Would you take one of the classic style or the ultra Lux? Um, I would take one of the classics. Hmm. I'm conflicted about the ultra Lux, honestly. And because they've changed it so much, is it a Jaguar? I don't know. So for context, we're talking 60th anniversary Jaguars, right. new release from Fender. Some I'm excited about. I, you know, we really like the offsets, and I love my Ultra Jazzmaster. Now, the thing is, I would have loved to see an Ultra Lux Jazzmaster, and I thought I think that's probably more intuitive. You know, thinking there's already an Ultra. There's no Ultra Jaguar, but they're doing a limited Ultra Lux Jaguar. Right. Humbuckers, humbuckers, not the and a long scale length. Long scale length, which. And no tremolo. No trem. It's string through body. So it's really string an offset jazz master <laughs> string through with humbuckers and some chrome plates to make it look like a Jaguar. That's, I think it's a cool guitar. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I just, you know, I kind of, and I probably shouldn't, I get bent out of shape a little bit when companies 
do this with certain names, you yeah. know, certain nameplates. And uh, and it's not that I don't want Fender, because I don't like the whole pigeonhole, you have to stay true mm-hmm. to whatever your roots are, whatever. I like the change, but to me, the Jag is the combination with the pickups, the controls you have, and the short scale. Having a 24-inch yeah. scale length is really cool. It, yeah. It's part of the tone. So, yeah, even if they did string through, even if they did the humbuckers, but they kept the short scale length, I'd be more on board with it. But yeah. that's just where I'm at. The thing is, with the Ultralux Tele, they call it the Ultralux Tele HH. Right. That's the Jaguar HH. Come on. It's a Jazzmaster HH. It's a Jazzmaster HH. Come on, guys. Because of the... Yeah, if... The scale length is what I think does it. For yeah, me. I do. I'm very excited about the just the regular 60th anniversary Jags. Mystic the colors lace, are really Mystic pretty. Lake Placid Blue, I think. Something like that. Yeah, the the, the blues and reds they're using on them are yeah. just really matching headstock. Really it's very cool. So I'm excited about those. Excited to see you know the new Paramount stuff. I I'm thinking about it because I just got off the phone downstairs with a guy who's very excited about it, and I think it'll be interesting to see. If Fender Acoustics, with a big marketing push from them, can take hold in that price range that previously it's been hit or miss, you know. But I'm excited. I think they're going to be cool. I hope so. I think, you know, Fender has been trying this, and um, they have the business acumen and the marketing behind it to make it successful. And they know what they're doing with overseas manufacturing to really make these stellar guitars. Mm -hmm. Yeah. you know, there's been some things that Fender's done acoustically that just didn't hit home. When I first started, one of the first videos we did was on these Fender Custom Shop acoustics, which is similar mm-hmm. to the one that you ordered. Oh, yeah. And um, they just weren't selling. And mm-hmm. they were high-end, $3,000 and up, you know, guitars. One of them specifically I loved. It was a Engelman spruce-topped mahogany body dreadnought. Yeah. And uh, it, it was just a killer, killer guitar. We did videos on them. We ended up selling all of them, but Fender discontinued the line because they just were done. Pretty fast, too. Yeah, you know, and so that's a pet peeve of mine. When manufacturers try something, have dealers buy into it and abandon it really quickly, just leaving dealers holding the bag, that sucks. Yeah. Um, But the truth of this line was just, to me, it was kind of poor marketing. They were basically Guild Custom Shop Acoustics, branded as Fender and they were fantastic. But so. the Strat headstock, that was a miss. Well, some of them were, yeah. yeah. It, it, people typically don't want that quirkiness in a $3,000 guitar. Unless you're Elvis. Unless you're Elvis. Then you can do it. So, yeah, let's get right into it. Because I, you know, it's fun talking about, you know, new products. But I'm talking about, like, the soul of Chris McKee over <laughs> here. So, I think a good one to start off with. Just I let everyone know, I drink yeah. my coffee black. Okay, that's where we're starting. I remember one so. time Chris came in to work and somebody was making a cup of coffee. And I think you said something to them that was like, uh, oh, so you like the taste of cream and sugar. <laughs> and I was like, man, this guy is harsh. Yucking a yum. I so, like coffee. I'm I a, love good I'm coffee. I'm a coffee snob. So What's like, what's your go-to place in town to get coffee um that's a good question i don't have a place near me that i really really like i'll go to starbucks yeah and i'm very particular what i order there what do you get um so it's going to be black um i like their blonde roast or if they have it there's certain roasts i like i'm a big fan of their italian roast actually it's a dark roast it's not over roasted which starbucks does with a lot of their beans um i buy whole bean coffee. I typically make it at home. <laughs> yeah. I grind the beans every morning and you can see from the, from good coffees, you can see the oil content that comes out of it. 
Um, so Arabica beans is, t- I don't really like any other type of bean I have found. I've tried them all. So I, I'm a refried guy. You a know refried I just want to give a little shout out to a, a place in town, Gold. Gold is great. We got Zach Cavender over here behind the, uh, the Zoom, but uh, introduce everybody at Alamo to Gold. He's sipping on a little cold brew right now. I think maybe the best local coffee shop. They're great. So if you're in San Antonio, you're going to Alamo Music, hike right up the road yeah. on Flores. The only two coffee places near me is a Starbucks, and they just opened a Dutch Bros. And I was very excited about the Dutch Bros, despite the fact that I don't typically partake of their sugary, sweet, yeah. you know, blended stuff. But their just plain coffee is fantastic. So you got to try it out. Yeah. got to try it. So... Let's say you you know you've already had your coffee in the morning. You're feeling you're feeling hyped up. You're ready to tackle the day. First question is: You're putting together a jam session, and you get to choose three guitarists, dead or alive. Who are they going to be in your jam session? Three guitarists, dead or alive, in my jam session. Wow, that's there's so many great guitarists, and they got arabica beans on deck. <laughs> They're bringing the coffee. Yeah. Um. I this is going to be an eclectic mix. How's that? We're going to see what these cats would would do together, and it would be Hendrix, Rory Gallagher, and Django Reinhardt. I mean, the level of communication between those three—it's going to be tough to understand what's going on. But like, you know, music is a universal language, man. That's true. I I thought about Hendrix for sure, but I'm like, this dude, you know, I don't want to say this because he might hear this and he, you know, he might get hurt, but. uh you know, he's he's going to steal the show. He's going to hog all the airtime. I'm like, is this a listening session or is this a jam session, you know? But, no, I think that's a good list. I'm playing around, Jimmy, for listening to this, you know, just messing. <laughs> <laughs> Why Rory? I just love his, his style. I think he's very lyrical with his playing. Yeah. It moves me. Um, and I love Django's playing for the same thing, the kind of legato style and, yeah. and the sp- it's not even just the speed it's the way he puts notes together yeah um and when you listen to those old recordings of him with the bands kind of in synchronization mm-hmm. same thing with with hendrix actually you know there's very few most of the recordings we're all familiar with are of him and his band mm-hmm. but he played with so many cats and they would go and they would jam and and you know i i'd listen to interviews and really understand that he appreciates mm-hmm. musicianship so much or did um, and so I could see those three really kind of playing off. I mean, the, the list could be a mile long, truth be told, of different people with different styles. You know, it'd be interesting to see what would happen if you put Django Reinhardt and Michael Hedges in the same room yeah. with those cats, too. You know? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a cool mix because it's different styles, you know? Right. Um, one of my favorite jams that I ever watched, like in a video, I'm sure you've seen it. It was B.B. King. Derek Trucks, John mm-hmm. Mayer, uh, Susan Tedeschi's in there, and just seeing them kind of trade around. And I watched another one that was similar with Slash in there. Yeah. And Slash is sitting next to BB King, and like, you know, it's almost like Slash has become such like a image of like a top hat and sunglasses that people forget like how amazing he is at guitar, and you know they associate him with Guns and Roses stuff or you know whatever, but. I mean, he's just playing, I think, Thrill is Gone with B.B. King. And he takes off his hat, he puts it on B.B. King. And they're just, I mean, it's like such a cool thing, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that that was my opener, right? 
because we got to get started there. That was challenging. Um, but now, instead of three guys jamming with, you're out on an island now. And it's the island of, it's, you're in Java. Of misfit toys. Yeah, you're in Java, so you're harvesting the beans yourself. <laughs> um, and you got, you know, your guitar of choice, you got your amp, you got your Mesa boogie, whatever. But I'm saying, what three pedals do you have in there to, to signal the SOS to come get picked up? You know, you got to put together the best tone ever, you know. The plane's coming by, they're picking, the up, picking up your si- signal, you know. Okay. What pedals are you bringing with you on this island? I'm going, uh, if I'm if the goal is to get saved here. No, the thing is, it's like, you have to get saved because people are like, man, this guy's got a great tone, we got to get him out of here and on the stage. Because I was going to go, you know, you, you've got to have a really good reverb, you've oh, got to yeah. have delay, and then you go with an Octavizer, because if, <laughs> if you don't know this, the, the wavelengths that travel the furthest are the lowest hmm. wavelengths. Whale style. Whale style, yeah. Your your <laughs> bass notes are what people are going to hear. Yeah. Um, the treble stuff dis- dissipates pretty quickly. So. Well, here's the tough thing. I mean, I, I get you with the, <laughs> you got delay and reverb, but the thing is, and you need that because since you're in such a big open space, you know, you won't have the natural reverb of, say, if you're stuck in, you know, a city center or something like that. So I, I feel that. But I'm talking down to... The make and model of the pedal. You know, it just you... popped in my mind though. <laughs> is you know those Far Side comics where it's like, yeah. "Welcome to Hell." Here's your accordion. Here's yeah. your banjo. I just realized that Rhett Shule's Hell would be going down there, and all they have are Tube Screamer pedals. You know what? And he's wrong. I love Tube Screamer. Like that. That's my heaven. Yeah, it's like we're both in there, and yeah, I love a good Tube <laughs> Screamer. Those would be the three: TS eight hundred eight, TS nine. <laughs> TS9 Mini. <laughs> Stacked. Each thought and all turned stack. on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, okay. So, I mean, I've got, I've I've rebuilt my pedal board a few times. So, mm-hmm. in its current state, I have a two Strymon pedals that I really like, which is the Timeline and the Big Sky. Yeah. I would have those with me. Until what a cheat. Well, you know, I mean, hey. That means you that's got 300 why you, pedals. That's, <laughs> that's, but that's, you know, you didn't say that do one thing. That's fair. Um... And, you know, I could have gone with multi-effects if I really wanted variety. You got a Boss ME80. <laughs> Another one. <laughs> so, yeah, I would go with those. Um, and then, you know, if I have the amp I have now, I, I got rid of all my overdrive pedals. If I didn't, I used to have a Klon, which I sold. Uh, and I used to have a Tube Screamer. So, so. What, what did you get for the Klon? Because I know you sold it to make room for something else, right? Uh, yeah, I think I got, like... $850 for it or something it was a few years ago. So mm. should have brought it to Guitarlington, dude. You know what? It's funny. I mean, there's so many clones that are all very similar. They're great pedals. It was Yeah. It was a good pedal. It wasn't like blow your skirt up or anything. This this wasn't on the my question list, but it's in the moment. Um would you rather have an okay guitar, say something I'm trying not to, I mean, say... You're trying not to disparage something by calling yeah, it okay. Yeah. Okay, so you got an okay... Let's keep it broad. Would you rather have an okay guitar with great pedals and a great amp or an amazing guitar with okay pedals and an okay amp? I would go with the amazing guitar, and here's why. Because the feel, to me, tends to be the more important aspect. Everything kind of flows from there. If the setup's not good or if it just doesn't feel good, you don't play as clean. And then regardless of what's down the line, that kind of carries through. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So would you go like 
Squire Bullet and like a Mesa triple rectifier or no would you have <laughs> or no yeah. yeah or would you have like custom shop you know 59 Les Paul with the frontman 10 also no <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny like I going with either of those you're just like you're done you're not realizing you're that yeah, yeah. yeah but you know going mid middle pack on either works you know if you get yeah. a decent guitar that feels great with a pretty good amp setup, you you you're ninety percent of the way there. Player Telecaster and Blues Junior. Yeah, let's go. For yeah, it. seriously. Yeah, you're ninety percent there. Okay, so now, like you're hanging out in the morning, right? You're having your coffee, and you're flipping through the old Chris McKee record collection, and you got some friends coming over that they've never heard a guitar in their life, right? I mean, you got a guy. He was born deaf. And now he's had surgery. He's got, <laughs> he's got two good ears now. Out with in the morning. So you got a guy coming in. You haven't seen him in years. He's never heard a guitar in his life. You get to choose one album to show him this is what guitar is. This is what it sounds like. This is the best it's ever been done. Full album, front to back. What album are you choosing? Dude. Um... I'm trying to think of albums because I think of songs more like Hendrix Wind Cries Mary is one of my go-to yeah, like one. incredible tone yeah. albums. Um, I love the recording that SRV did, Stevie Ray Vaughan did at Austin City Limits. It's mm-hmm. one of my favorite. Just one of the coolest, yeah. Beginning to end examples of just great a yeah. great guitarist. Not everyone's an SRV fan. I know people that like loathe his style of blues, but he was just an amazing guitar player. Was the Austin City Limits one where he's doing a, he's playing a solo, breaks a string, yeah. and then comes out of it, and you know, just seamless. That's one of the coolest things. I've yeah, heard. and he also has that great rendition of Voodoo Child. Yeah, in that same concert. So yeah, that might be it. His uh. His Little Wing is one of my favorites, too. Yes. I think, so when I was thinking of this one, my first thoughts were like, what Hendrix album or what Stevie Ray album is it going to be? Because um, those are great examples, and I think they almost work in tandem, too. Like, obviously, he was so inspired by Jimi Hendrix, and I used to have this conversation all the time with a friend of mine, like, who is better? Um, but the thing is, like, I think about some of those early Hendrix I mean, I guess the three Studio Hendrix albums. It's like the playing is there, but it's so raw that like at times it's it's almost hard to like even comprehend what's going on. And the recording quality is not like the best in the world. Yeah. Um, but I think about like Electric Ladyland with some of the weird, more experimental stuff in there. It's hard to pick between those. I think Texas Flood is a great, Stevie Ray, like, straight through album. Um, That's a nostalgic one for me. That takes me back to my childhood. Yeah. I'll tell you uh, a modern album that I think is a great representation broadly Mm -hmm. of guitar music, and that's John Mayer's Live in L.A. Yeah. Um, I love how he did that with, like, basically three different sets. He has his acoustic set, he has his trio set, and he has his full-on band Mm -hmm. kind of pop set. And he's such a phenomenal guitar player, but that mix within that concert and being live mm-hmm. um like 
Slow Dancing in a Burning Room that everyone loves, the best version he's played on a record of that song is on that album mm-hmm. that he did live. Um, and his acoustic stuff is, is so good when it's just him by yeah. himself for the most part. When so. he does that solo at the end of Gravity and he's doing the harmonics on the 12th fret and then bending it above mm-hmm. the nut, it's like, first of all, how do you press so hard on that B string to make it go up like a whole step? I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and I use multiple fingers. I've tried so hard to like do that. And first of all, I'm terrified that my string's going to break, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, I first learned doing that watching Doyle Dykes, uh, way back when. Yeah. And it's funny cause he would do it on acoustic guitar. He picked it up from old telly players, you know, yeah. when they'd have a B bender to do this stuff. And um, his one of his biggest tips was if you're doing it on an acoustic or any guitar that's like three to a side tuners, yeah, you make sure that you really clip the string very very close to the tuner head because you'll poke your fingers so easily, and then you know you're going to the rest of the concert with blood coming out of a. Finger when pad. was the last time you restrung a slotted headstock? Uh, the last that was well, a steel string. Th- that was a steel string. Yeah, uh, I'm sure it was for someone in the store. Yeah, I don't own any. I I, I don't own any classicals right now. I did. Yeah, neither do I. I've yeah. never been great at restringing nylon strings. I feel like I just never get it as clean as they come. You say from a professional and or from the factory, like especially on Cordobas, they're all lined up and tied so perfectly yeah. at the bottom. I'm not great at that. I'm, um, I I can do that. I don't have any problem with it. So the thing, the reason I asked is because I was restringing a slotted headstock parlor the other day and um, like two centimeters of high E string went straight into my index finger and it felt awesome. It's, yeah, it feels yeah. so good. I actually I have a blood one. blister um, on my ring finger on my left hand from my strap case. I've never done that before, but I basically closed the latch a on the tip snap. of my finger. That's a bad time. Yeah, it was real pleasant. All right, so moving on. Some might say, <laughs> like, you look at a band like Led Zeppelin, right? Mm-hmm. Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, John Paul Jones, John Bonham, masters of the craft, right? Each one of them are perfect at what they do. You got to build a band of those four pieces, vocal, guitar, bass, drums, f- taking from different pieces of other bands. You got to build all four. Who are you picking as your all-star band? Um, so I really like Tal Wilkenfeld's bass playing, um, and particularly the stuff she's done with Jeff Beck. Oh yeah. Live at Ronnie Scott's. Oh man. Yeah. When she freaks him out and he's kind of like, he has that proud Papa moment. Yeah. I'm also going to, you know, I'm going to start a rumor about Tal right now and that I think they lied. Well, no, I think they (laughs) lied about her age. She looks way younger than she says she is and she was playing clubs and i it, she might just have one of those cherubic faces but she's like an amazing Ethan did bass when player. he applied here <laughs> yeah dude was 14 years old <laughs> so yeah i don't know if if uh if the her age is is correct but it doesn't matter her or or uh esperalda spalding they're right now they're just they're always in my head about great bass players that i just really love the feel and kind of the groove that they get um carter beaufort from dave matthews band is a consummate drummer and i've always joked that that guy the syncopation rhythms he comes up with the fact that he's back there singing and like chewing bubble gum and he's probably making breakfast for the band at the same (laughs) time like he's just doing insane stuff 
So I'd have him, um, and then I need a guitar player and a vocalist? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. For guitar, let's slot... <laughs> I was going to say, well, Jeff Beck has played with talent. You know it would be interesting to, to put in there would be Corey Wong, um, if you're only going to go with one guitar player, because he can do amazingly fast lead stuff and really cool rhythm. All three of them together with the like different rhythms that they're yeah. so good at. That's a really that's a tasteful uh, group right there. Be good stuff. Yeah. Vocalist, uh, let's go with Layla Hathaway. Because you want to throw in those. Uh... She can do it. She yeah. can <laughs> sing multiple notes at the same time. She's got a great soulful voice, amazing range. Just awesome soul so what you're saying is you want an all-star snarky puppy concert <laughs> a four-piece snarky puppy yeah. yeah no i you know i it's funny but a lot of the music that i listen to tends to be like very soulful groove type stuff or fusion jazz type things yeah um, so, and i and i really appreciate just like complicated music that's lyrical there's something about some complicated music can just be performative, just demonstrative for the sake of it, mm-hmm. and doesn't lend itself to bettering the song. Um, I don't get down with that, but a lot of the stuff that, like Wolfpack and Snarky Puppy, and you know the the things that Tal does on her albums or with other people, Esperanza Spalding, same thing. Yeah, and Layla, she's this amazing jazz singer. So I, I love all that stuff. I've been thinking uh, ever since watching Get Back. Um, just how much, and I've sent you a few videos too, separately, Ringo stuff. Yeah. And like, you know, not being flashy at all, but coming up with unique parts for the song. I've I've been appreciating him so much more. And then I've been thinking too about how George Harrison's style, he's almost like, he mimics slide things really well. And like, you know, just that kind of tonality. I think putting together say a Ringo type with even like a Derek trucks kind of thing. I would, I'm, I've been pairing George Harrison and Derek trucks a lot in my mind Mm -hmm. together because of how lyrical both of them are. And I just like listening to these players that play something that's a little counterintuitive than, you know, Yeah. but uh, I don't know, dude, I think that's actually, that's not at all what I would have expected you to say for the all-star band, but I really like that answer. Um, and it makes me want to go listen to the live at Ronnie Scott's concert again. Such a, another great, you know, you're asking about albums to introduce people to guitar. That'd be another good one. There's like 10 Jeff Beck albums that you could do that with, you know? Yeah. I, one of my favorite, this was not a question, but I'm volunteering it since it's in the moment, as you said, one of the, the coolest things I've ever done or had the opportunity to do in this job is see Jeff Beck live. And then go backstage and meet him and Johnny Depp after a concert. <laughs> it's su- such a weird thing because if you didn't know that Johnny Depp was touring with Jeff Beck, that sentence is so funny. Like, man, I got to meet Jeff Beck and Johnny Depp was there. Yeah. Well, yeah. the funny thing, too, is it was kind of on the down low. Yeah. And he wasn't billed with him. And when the concert started, he wasn't there. And midway through the concert, he walks out. And I have to shout out Eric Langenhan got us these tickets. My wife and I got to go. And uh, with Eric, and it was uh, just a phenomenal night. And, you know, getting the backstage concert stuff was just on top of it. But in the middle of the concert, you know, 
Johnny Depp walks out and my wife looks at me and goes, is that Johnny Depp? I'm like, yeah, he's a musician. Uh, but I didn't know he was going to be here. And they do the rest of the set together, which was cool. It was great. And then, yeah, meeting them backstage, you know, just cool, down to earth. I have to remind myself how old Jeff Beck is because he, he's like a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just having fun. He lied about his age. I'm sure, yeah. That's how Tal learned. Do you think that Johnny Depp was always destined to be pirate-esque? <laughs> or do you think that his role as Captain Jack Sparrow changed his personal style in real life? Uh, yeah, I think it... <laughs> I think it kind of changed him. You know, it's as he's gotten older, he's gotten quirkier. I remember, um, you know, back when I was young and he was like doing the 21 Jump Street stuff. I mean, he was taking on some weird roles, you know, <laughs> Crybaby and Edward Scissorhands and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, he really kind of leaned into it. And yeah. I think it just, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I saw a clip of him on Graham Norton and his voice, like his accent is maybe it's like Gary Oldman. I, I don't know that he's putting it on and taking it off. I think because when I met him, he was, he didn't talk like he was, you know, from the middle of America, born and raised, (laughs) you know, he's got this kind of permanently altered uh, accent about him. I heard Gary Oldman, same thing. He had to relearn how to do an English accent because he's put on so many accents. He lives in the States and stuff. So who do you, this wasn't on my list, but it's got me thinking, who's the best uh, actor musician? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this the other day because surprisingly there are so many of them. Yeah, Kevin um, Bacon, Dennis Quaid. Yeah, they both come to Green Hall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Kevin Costner plays. Um, Kiefer Sutherland plays and has a band. Mm-hmm. Um, Billy Bob Thornton. Don't ask him while he's endorsing his music about, about acting. Yeah, whatever you do. Um, it, you know, in fairness, that's why no one watches AOL Blast. <laughs> Uh, Bruce Willis uh, is a great musician. Um, All of those guys are of the same, they're cut of the same cloth. They right? are. Yeah. Kevin Costner, Kevin Bacon, Bruce Willis, Dennis Quaid. <laughs> it's like all of those are just all edgy 80s, dads. 80 stars. They're all edgy dads. <laughs> but, you know, Scarlett Johansson uh, has yes, had a music career. She's an edgy dad as well. I think, you know, who's underrated is, is uh, Robert Downey Jr., who is a talented musician, but also does the best sting impression. You know, you ever listen to people singing and realize who their biggest inspiration is comes through very clearly when they're singing. Yes. Yeah. yes. He's one of those. He sounds like sting when he sings very Man. breathy. It's that sting breath. Uh, so who's the best musician turned actor? Hmm. In terms of acting chops. Good question. Uh, you know, a lot of them would say they are. Uh, Johnny Depp was a musician turned actor. Um, Jeff Bridges, I was going to bring him up earlier. I found out that he was going to be a musician first and foremost. Really? Yeah, it was an interview his brother Bo was doing. And evidently Jeff, I mean, that was, they all thought Jeff was just going to be a rock star. And then he got these parts and was immediately up for Oscar nominations and stuff. And so his his life went another way. But I remember watching Crazy Horse and just being gobsmacked at how talented he was. He's the dude. Yeah. What about, uh, you ever seen Tom Waits in an acting role? Yes. And, I I, you know, it's funny. I pointed him out in uh, Book of Eli to my children. I did, I've not seen it. Oh, it's a great movie, yeah. and I won't spoil it for you. I hope no one spoils the ending for you. But uh, he's got this small little part, and it's just so good. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other musicians that have gone on to have great acting careers um, versus smaller parts like that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you asked the question. You don't know any answers? <laughs> I wasn't. I told you. I was. This is all coming straight I'm going to here. say it's not Madonna. Uh, it's not Cher, although she was great in some of the movies she was Cher in. Cher is fantastic. You ever seen Moonstruck, dude? Yeah, so I was thinking specifically of yeah. yeah, Moonstruck. I mean, I think, uh, you know. Witches of Eastwick, she was good in that. So. Moe's Deaf. <laughs> yeah, Moe's Deaf is great. Be kind of rewind, dude. You know, his part in uh, Italian Job, We, as a family, we just constantly repeat, I had a bad experience. It's just part of our vernacular. <laughs> so is uh, the Italian Job... Um, or Ocean's Eleven, a better movie. Uh, I'm talking new versions of both. <laughs> yeah, Michael Caine Italian Jobs a really good movie too. Love the cliffhanger at the end. Yuck, yuck. Um, probably Ocean's Eleven is okay. But the are movie. either of them better than Gone in sixty seconds with Nick no. Cage? No, I'm a little tired. No, I'm a little wired. You remember that part? I love that. <laughs> I love that movie, dude. You know, I, I watch. That's a guilty pleasure movie. Some of those movies are like they're B movies that yeah. have been es, you know escalated in their you status. Got Angelina Jolie with blonde dreadlocks. Yep. They got Eleanor on deck. Um, the the whole yeah. low rider scene. Yeah, let's ride. Yeah, dude. Yeah, we got to watch some of these. Let's do a <laughs> My separate favorite, podcast. Favorite scene re-watch. in that whole movie is when uh, they try to carjack. Uh, Stri- what's his name? Stricky or whatever. And he beats the guy. And he's like, you need a role model. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right. So I got, I got one more question that I put, and this is a multi-part, but you got to, you know, maybe this is uh, pulling back the curtain because it's, you know, coffee's over. We're talking, it's like the end of the night. All right. And you've got, I'm going to tell you four different guitars you have to pair it with a cocktail or drink. Okay. Okay. So first one is going to be your Les Paul, your 59. What's the go-to with that one that you're going to sip on? Bourbon. I want specifics. Uh, Buffalo Trace. You got to go classic with a classic. That's good. Just neat mm-hmm. on the rocks, old-fashioned. What are we talking? Neat. Okay. It's dark like the the les paul smooth with a bit of bite full body you know there you go so All those things the next one is going to be a taylor 814 ce limited alamo music exclusive adirondack spruce what's going with that feel hmm. free to also pair like food maybe a charcuterie plate <laughs> thank you for the options um you know it's funny that that actually reminds me of something specific I had from a charcuterie board. And it was a cheese that had been made with a Merlot wine. Yeah, I know exactly what you you're know talking, what I'm talking about. about? Yeah. It's like purple and white. Yeah. It was amazing because it had this smoothness with a bit of a sharpness to it. Mm-hmm. And all of these varied flavors that came through as you Kind of nutty. It. Yeah. 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 That that would be a good pairing right there. I'm, I think about, you know, I've, we've talked about this on the channel before, a really nice light in color spruce, like an Adirondack, with a dark rosewood back and sides. Mm-hmm. Beautiful combination. I think with the D55, the chocolate cake, uh, you know, comparison is perfect. Like 
slice of chocolate cake with like a cab, dude. And it's perfect. So uh, next we're going Strat style. So obviously a little thinner than your Les Paul. Maybe doesn't need something as uh, spirit forward as a bourbon, but I don't know. What are you going to do? I'm talking like an American original 60s Strat. Hmm. Yeah, I'd probably go with some kind of a light beer, something that's nice and refreshing, maybe a little fruity, some IPA. I'm trying to think of something specific. Like with the like a cheeseburger. Yeah, yeah, yeah just just your classic good. throwback stuff. It's Curly all fries on there too. Yeah, you know? all American. I just had a. Would you take Five Guys or <laughs> or Whataburger? Oh, good question. Uh, either provided it's done correctly. So here's my tips. If you go to Five Guys, you cannot order it like they have it on the menu. Mm-hmm. It's too much stuff. Oh, yeah, with everything on it? Yeah, it's just grilled you, onions, you lose, raw onions. You lose the burger. Yeah. You know, it's hard to eat and you lose the burger. Um, so, yeah, pare it down. Grilled onions is great. Some bacon. Mm-hmm. You, you know, maybe some cheese. You don't need much, yeah. right? With Whataburger, which is a Texas staple, mm-hmm. I always order it with grilled jalapenos, mm-hmm. grilled onions, toasted buns. You got to toast the bun. Both yeah. sides. Yeah. That's that's a fantastic burger. Actually, one of my favorites that they don't do anymore is the Monterey Melt. I gained way too much weight eating Monterey Melts on the regular. So I've got a friend, and I think you actually know him because he comes into the store, but he has been posting relentlessly about the discontinuation of the A1 Thick and Hearty. Yes. I never had that burger. But it's good. The way he talks about it makes me think it's like the loss of a lifetime that it's not on the menu anymore. So It'll come back. You know how they do. So here's the thing. I had four guitars. We had your Strat, which you're doing, you know, ice cold beer and a, maybe a cheeseburger. Um, over on the, the Taylor, like a little charcuterie, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, a glass of wine with some cheese. The Les Paul, you're just doing bourbon, keeping it simple. What about a Martin... D or HD, because I know you prefer that, 28. Steak and potatoes. Steak and potatoes. With Guinness. What's the cut of the steak? Uh, We'll go ribeye. See, the thing is about the ribeye, it's so fatty. That's where the flavor is. I know, but you get, like, the thing is, sometimes it's a little too much. No, see, it's not too much. You're just not enough. No, I'm kidding. What you got to do is you got to buy it. You got to buy thick ribeye. You season it well. You grill it well. You know, there's the fat on there, but that's imparting flavor. And it's just a different taste. Like, you know, if you ever, you've probably been to one of these Brazilian steakhouses, right? Oh, yeah. One of the best parts about going to one of those things is if you're paying attention, how you can tell with your palate the different styles of meat that are cut uh, because all they're doing is seasoning it with salt. That's it. Yeah. Right. So filet tastes different than ribeye tastes different than chuck or whatever they're serving you. So the thing is, I'm a big filet fan. Yeah. So is my wife. Not uh, not super fatty, but sometimes you go, you get a nice grass fed filet. It's got some nice marbling perfectly. in there. The thing is, why why do they ruin it with a bacon wrap? Because it's so lean. Because there's not enough fat typically in those. You can get a fatty filet. You can, but generally that's why they're doing it with bacon. They're trying to introduce fat into it um, because it anything that's fattier is harder to screw up when you're cooking. Yeah. Right? It, chicken thigh is easier to cook 
and and it still have a moist cut versus chicken breast because there's more fat in yeah. it. Same thing with the, the filet. So are you basically saying through a metaphor that solid wood guitars, <laughs> there's less fat to mess up with, so it has to be cooked perfectly? Sure. That's one way of looking at it. I mean, basically a super fatty cut, you are basically got laminate back and sides. It's really hard to mess it's it up. It's like the... Uh, Yamaha FG840 maple back and sides is the uh, is the chicken thigh of there the lineup. It's yeah. the chicken thigh of affordable guitars. <laughs> but a Yamaha FS5, you got a breast. You know, it's funny. This is a great analogy that's totally off subject, but talking to guitar builders yeah. and uh, like understanding probably the most difficult thing dealing with building a like an acoustic guitar from all solid wood is aging the wood. Yeah. That's the most difficult part of the process. And it reminds me, since we're talking about cooking. Of, Dry age. <laughs> uh, it, it reminds me of grilling brisket. The first yeah. time, I was talking to Nick about this the other day. The yeah. first time I cooked a brisket, it was super intimidating. Because if you mess up, it's 50 bucks or yeah. $75 now of meat mm-hmm. that you've just wasted. Yeah. Um, and there's so many tricks to it. And the first time I did it, it was super intimidating. And then you hit this stall because you're dealing with such a giant piece of meat, with which is actually two different kind of styles of beef yeah. that are together because you don't buy it trimmed yeah. unless you're a moron. <laughs> you, you buy a Packer style brisket, you take it home, you trim it, you grill it. But it's going to stall. It's going to hit 160 degrees and it will stall. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know what you're doing, you just kind of panic, you know? And I remember the first time experiencing that and then later listening to uh, someone at a factory talking about having to rotate woods and deal yeah. with them and, and all that stuff. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's pretty intimidating when you first get into these things. I can only imagine, you know, ex- super exotic wood or just wood that it's harder to come by being a, you know, early upstart luthier and getting your hands on, say, a really nice koa or something, you know, that's it's expensive and then not seasoning and curing it properly and you well know. i don't think it's limited to small time luthiers so at the taylor factory they have these side bending machines that they've invented yeah right and um when they were first introducing them i think it was about the time i visited the factory first time so it was 2014 and on the sides of them they had pieces of paper with check mark boxes um or no it was just boxes they were counting numbers of backs and sides that they'd bent Hmm. by species and there was a number there for breakage and there were certain certain species of wood that were doing it pretty often koa maple they were breaking they would just they would just blow up because they were so tight rosewood will bend really easily so they adapted those machines to change the speed by which they would do this so rosewood fastest speed you can bend it whatever maple you go slower and you know what happens there. Sometimes they're doing like a custom build guitar. Every factory deals with this, right? And you deal with something like Coco Bolo or you deal with Ebony and you're bending it and it breaks. Mm-hmm. And someone picked that piece. So it really doesn't matter if you're like a two-man shop, a one-man shop, or yeah. you've got 400 people working for yes. you. That's still one piece of wood that someone was counting on that broke. And that sucks. So. So, side question. In which case, then you have to deal with pairing it with which drink are you just yeah. consoling yourself with? I think it's cool what 
Taylor's been doing with some of the ebony. I forget what the company is called. That's Krellicam. Yeah, the Krellicam. Well, yeah, but out of the Krellicam, like ebony, there's the furniture uh, or like, you know, the wares company. Uh, Stella Falone. Yes. Yes. I think that's pretty cool. You know, you think about so many people would purchase, not just from Taylor. Imagine if Martin and Fender and Gibson and stuff with pieces that weren't able to be used on guitars, making cool tasteful housewares i don't know if the other companies could do it taylor's doing it because they're the supplier effectively for these other companies at this point for the most part i think uh but yeah i do think it is cool and i think it goes a long way with them supporting the community Mm -hmm. where they have this mill um and you can see if you watch their stuff like how much the lives of the people in cameroon that work there have improved um so and i think them having these other offerings one takes better advantage of the additional wood that they have and two that more of that money just goes back to those people that work in the mill which is great that's cool so and it's food which we love i love good food yeah um last question i have coming from your side bending machine conversation talking exotic woods uh for back and sides koa cocobolo zirakote uh like a nice macassar ebb mm-hmm had one more in my mind either way what do you think sounds the best and does it look the best i know it's subjective but i mean you're a big koa fan but would you choose say koa over one of these other woods based on sound looks what do you think is the, well i did it the ultimate yeah because I, I i had my custom tailor built and i chose macassar ebony with mm-hmm. sinker redwood and i did it for a particular tone you know when I did that, my wife was arguing with me. She wanted me to get an Alcoa guitar because she loves the look of Koa. She mm-hmm. could care less what it sounds like. And I like the sound of Alcoa. It, it was kind of on my list, but it's not what I was wanting yeah. at the time. And it was funny. We got in there, and they just didn't have any Koa. And so I got my way. Yeah. Otherwise, it would have been an Alcoa guitar, and I would have changed the design of it to suit. With um, the sinker and the ebony, what was the sound that you imagined in your head that you were going for with those two? So it was interesting that pairing Bob Taylor had written that he had a dreadnought that was made of this wood. And I'd had one opportunity to play uh, a custom Taylor that had this wood pairing and I liked it. And the way he described it is it was kind of like the Gibson lo-fi with the Taylor treble mm-hmm. sprinkled on top of it. And so you have this dark rich tone um, that comes out of primarily the the redwood because mm-hmm. it's kind of like cedar, yeah. But you know it's got a little bit less give to it, so you can push a little bit more. Um, but with Macassar ebony, the sound that you get is kind of depending upon how you play, how close to the bridge you play, and whatnot. It's not like a rosewood. It's not just bass and treble. It's got a lot of overtones, but it can be fairly transparent at times too and so i like the pairing of the two because i think you get a lot of richness you get a lot of overtones you get a lot of depth it responds well and i did a bigger body i did the gs Uh because i was having the armrest put in and the idea was in my head if i went with a ga and had the armrest there's even less top to work with and i wanted something that could really boom if i if i wanted it to and it's it's checked all of the boxes yeah it's one of those things actually ordering an, a custom guitar is kind of stressful because you're spending tons of money and you you kind of wonder is it going to sound like i think it's going to sound is it going to meet the needs yeah. for all of this money 
and not just be a visual feast. That that's what I care about anyway. Yeah. Um, and I think more so with an acoustic than electric. Electric, if it's visually beautiful, it, that's probably you know as it feels good, it'll it'll probably sound fun, great. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it checked all of the boxes. The first strum I did was in the store. Everyone was gathered around, and we were all like, "Wow!" Yeah. And Tommy, Maurice's son, who we love, he coined the the phrase that this guitar has the badunka dunk. So. That's yeah, I can hear him saying that. Yeah. yeah. But so I, I chose Macassar Ebony yeah. for that purpose. Out and you of got the looks, you know. Yeah, and it looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. It looks really, really great. Um out of some of the others you mentioned, you know, I've had an opportunity to play a number of Brazilian rosewood guitars. And they really are special. Yeah. You know, the the clarity that you get on the treble end and the overtones that you get are really something. Um, I don't think it has a monopoly on it. I've played similar species of rosewood that, or cocoa bolo, mm-hmm. you know, um, that can also pull that off pretty well. But Brazilian rosewood's pretty special. So, yeah, it's wild that you know different types of rosewood are either extremely exotic, quote unquote, or on every single. Well, you know, it's yeah. it's great that you bring that up because I think East Indian rosewood is not as well appreciated because it's so well, so easily available. Mm-hmm. And it's easily available because it's grown on plantations in India. And um, But I think that's really what we're going for. I mean, people romanticize certain woods because of the lack of availability. But that kind of mindset, uh, first of all, didn't it, it wasn't around when most of the guitars we romanticized were being made mm-hmm. they were made of that stuff because it was available and it's not ecologically sound to continue to obsess about things that we have difficulty getting a hold of the reason we have difficulty getting a hold of them is because there's not much available yeah and so through over forestation uh, or deforestation or other things affecting these these trees we need to find alternatives. And there's an interesting fact when we look at tonewoods that we so often describe them in comparisons to rosewood, mahogany, maple, because those are kind of hallmarks and everything fits in between. Mm -hmm. That tells you that there's a lot of alternatives. You don't have to overcut a, you know, a forest of trees to get a specific species of, of tree. There's others that will suffice and do what we needed to do. Yeah. And it's like, if, there's a sustainable way to get these types of woods and the playing field is level on wood types. It strips away a lot of extraneous stuff and then it comes down to what a manufacturer can do with that wood better than somebody else. Yeah, know? and that's really the more important thing. You can have someone take the very best spruce and the very best Brazilian rosewood and make a terrible guitar. Yeah. And then you can have a builder or manufacturer take subpar, you might say, wood Taylor did it. Bob Taylor did the palette guitars back in 2001 yeah. just to prove the point. I mean, even now with Urban Ash, it's not a bad wood, but it's taking wood that nobody would think to use for a guitar, right. and it sounds great. You yeah, know? There, tr- certain trees produce wood with favorable attributes that you can build an acoustic guitar or an electric guitar or an archtop guitar, depending upon what you're looking for. There's hardwoods and there's softwoods and so forth. And they all respond to in a certain manner to different frequencies. They they dampen more or 
they're very fast and they dampen less. And this is really all we're talking about, the physics of how the, the wood responds. Um, and then the, the, the thing that captures most people's imaginations is how it looks. And those things are not always together. Mm-hmm. Like there, people will be enamored with the looks of, of certain woods that are bent in their growth and they don't really sound that great, but they'll buy the guitar because it looks phenomenal. Yeah. You know, so. It's just crazy, though. We should do a whole podcast about all of the untrue things in the guitar world. Like, I'll give you one just to start off, and we, we really should make this an episode at some point, but the over-emphasizing of bass on an acoustic guitar. Because the truth be told, unless you're playing by yourself, you're playing fingerstyle or you're Jackson Brown strumming by yourself or something, mm-hmm. you don't really need bass in an acoustic guitar. I think that's a debate to be had. You know, I mean, it's if you need bass, you get a bass guitar. So, yeah. But if you're playing by yourself for certain styles, then you need it. Yeah. That's not how people shop for guitars, though. Yeah. They don't typically buy a guitar with the idea of their sound in an ensemble in mind. They sit down and they play the guitar. And so it's in this vacuum that they make the decisions rather than really in the context that they'll perform. Yeah, that's interesting. I I'll mean, die I, on that hill. <laughs> I think that's, I mean, it makes you think like how many people that get an acoustic guitar are going to be playing that in a band setting versus solo or it's just a hobby for them. Because for me, I rarely have taken out my acoustic when I'm playing with the full band. But I play way more acoustic shows anyway, so I do like having some of that low end. And even then, I favor when I'm running my own sound or somebody else is running it. Like I want as much low end as possible without it getting muddy. Yeah, but most um, professional mixes, if you have if you have our buddy Chris Klein mix your stuff, yeah, he's not going to have a bunch of bass in there sitting in the mix if you're strumming an acoustic guitar. Yeah, because that's not what's going to come through in the mix. Yeah, I just think. It's there's a difference in muddy bass or overdone bass to where it mm-hmm. takes over everything. If it's if it's dialed in right and balanced with everything else, I think an acoustic. Even we've talked about you know maybe spruce and rosewood is more favorable for a, a solo performer. Right. I have a spruce and mahogany, and even then I think that to an untrained ear, if it's EQ'd right it can sound full enough to where it's not like, oh, there's some dude sitting in a coffee shop. It sounds like Jackson Brown playing or, you know, James Taylor. Um, You know, and I think that a lot of people, when they buy acoustics, they want to sound like those guys, you know. Mm -hmm. But the key is not having a guitar that's so lacking in any of those frequencies that you have to compensate in the EQ. Just plug it in and play. Right, because then what you're talking about is really thinness and less body and not yeah. frequencies and stuff. And so, yeah, I think what happens generally is that people get an idea in their mind and maybe they ascribe the wrong... It's just difficult. We're talking... We're describing sound yeah. and everyone's ears being different. We should do a, a whole thing on, like, do you want blank or do you just want more mid-range? So do you want low end or do you actually want more mid-range? Yeah. Do you want more volume in your solo or do you want to boost the mid-range? You know, it's an... It's a misunderstood uh, spectrum. Absolutely. But let's go, maybe on our next episode, we'll talk, you bring five, you already started with one, but uh, untruths, we'll each bring them and we'll talk and we'll debate. 
That's great. I like it. Sounds good to me. What other hard-hitting questions do you have for me today? No, I'm done. Thought-provoking. I am all done. Well, I am leaving here and going to a deserted island with my guitars and my pedals and the ghosts. Don't of forget great the guitars beans. from the back. Yeah, uh, yeah, the Sumatra. beans are coming, and uh, I, I've got to go call a bunch of musicians. Carter Beaufort on speed dial, and see if he'll come along too. So. Yeah, he's cooking breakfast for the. He's band, cooking dude. breakfast while he's yeah. ghosting on the snare. So, well, this cool. has been fun. We're gonna, yeah. I, I'm gonna have to do this with you. I'd like to hear your questions or your answers to some of these questions and Hell others. Yeah. So let's do it. Thanks so much for watch or for listening. To our podcast, music TV, and, and watching us on YouTube. Uh, and if you don't know us from YouTube, definitely check out our channel. Uh, subscribe to this podcast, and some of this stuff is going to be uh, available to public, and some of it's going to be on our Patreon. So if you haven't checked that out, visit our Patreon channel as well, or just our store at Alma Music and buy some of our wares because they sponsor <laughs> us getting to talk about the these zany zany subjects. So oh yeah, thanks for the content, Cooper. <laughs> thanks for making more content, Cooper. Make more content, Cooper. All right, Zach. (laughs) See y'all.